When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about, an interesting and, and i got to argue, an important day here in the country um, as we look at what happened on on Wednesday. As before our U.S. Supreme Court, uh, you you had a a case being argued that could upend this country in, in, in a very scary way and could give the court system real really the ultimate power to decide what happens in our lives with with very little control from we the people. Uh, basically, you know, kings and queens and, and little dictators in robes and, and that kind of fun. And this is the thing that gets me. I, you know, I remember when, when John Roberts was uh, being confirmed, you know, it was it was the world of of, of starry decisis. It was the world of decided law. And, and Robert said he was going to call balls and strikes. And when he said that, I, 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 I wish I would have said, you know, in which game, because he's not playing the game where the balls and strikes are being called because the strike zone is well massive because, well, this court has been overturning what has been decided law. And in fact, you know, in a lot of places, just, kind of making stuff up as they go along. And this is what conservatives have have wanted to do for a very long time. It's why they've spent so much money in taking over the courts. It's why they've spent so much time and effort in grooming people like Brett Kavanaugh and, and Neil Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett and the rest of them. This is the payoff time. Uh, these are the moments that corporate America, the very wealthy, uh, are going to get their return on investments. And and I hope people are paying attention to what's going on in our Supreme Court because ultimately uh this is this is this is a big deal. So what happened on Wednesday is is kind of a big deal. And that's why I want to spend the whole the whole first half hour of today's program uh talking with you know, with somebody who I view as an expert on the on the Supreme Court, uh someone who follows the Supreme Court and and has as real insight of you know what could happen if the supreme court makes this decision to overturn what has been decided law since 1984 with this thing called chevron deference uh and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this in, in, in at the beginning of the next segment but you know i'm i'm this is why elections matter uh we have allowed the court to be packed with with corporatists we've allowed the court to be packed with with well hand-picked folks from our wealth class 
And someone said to me the other day that you know, you know Clarence Thomas, you know, what it doesn't get bought uh, by the by the by the you know by Harlan Crow and the and the wealthy. And I say no, it's not a quid pro quo thing. It's not a hey, I'm going to pay you to do this one little thing and make this decision. No, no, it's a lifetime of grooming. They have groomed the Supreme Court to know exactly what our wealth class wants, what they need, how they think, what their hopes, their dreams, their needs, their wants, all of that. So they don't have to say jump and and them ask how high they already know. And this is part of this. And this is what's, what's kind of frightening to me about where we are in this country with our Supreme Court. So I got a lot, to, I got a lot of questions on on this 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 most recent hearing, where this can take us, where, where this all could could bring us, uh, and when we come back, our good friend Ian Milheiser is going to be here to share some thoughts on what what happened on Wednesday in front of the Supreme Court. And you're not going to want to miss this. You're going to want to stick around uh, after the break. So uh, right back after this, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, does the Supreme Court have too much power? Or is that why we call them supreme? Should we be reining in some of the, 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 the craziness? Back after this. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So, uh, on on Wednesday, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in the Loper Bright Enterprises versus Ramiando and Relentless versus Department of Commerce cases that they, I guess, have combined to hear on this, this one thing. And from what I understand, it's it's widely viewed, widely believed that that these cases could be the end of what is something called the Chevron deference. Uh, this comes out of the Chevron versus Natural Resources Defense Council thing Deci- decided a long time ago, back in 1984. You know, decided law. You know, that thing that John Roberts said he was all behind, balls and strikes kind of thing. And what it basically says is if the courts uh, don't, it admits the courts don't know everything and that maybe they should leave some decisions up to, I don't know, people who do know stuff. For instance, you know, there are a number of government agencies, I don't know, like the EPA, who do know stuff. And quite frankly, I do trust scientists at the EPA a whole heck of a lot more than a gaggle of guys wearing robes. And I know some women too. Yeah, but here's much more than them. But what I think this would do, and we're going to find out in a second if I'm right or if I'm wrong, if this goes the wrong way, we could have, well, six little dictators sitting in robes on a court in this country deciding virtually everything that happens to our environment, our food, our water, everything. 
and here to share some thoughts on maybe maybe the, maybe I'm maybe I'm being a bit hyperbolic, but here to share some thoughts on what the arguments were on Wednesday and maybe some gut feeling and how this could go. I've asked Ian Milheiser to come talk with us. Ian's a senior correspondent over at Vox. He's also the author of The Agenda: How a Republican Supreme Court is Reshaping America. This might be a little bit of that part. Ian, thanks for taking time for us. It's good to be here. Thanks so much. So walk me through what this is. What are these what's what are these combined cases? What what what's the what, what's this going to do? How bad could this be? So this is simultaneously I think one of the most technical and confusing areas of the law, but also like these two cases are two of the biggest cases that the Supreme Court will decide potentially in my lifetime. Um, so what the issue is here is, of course, there's all sorts of federal agencies, you know, the Department of, A of Energy, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Labor. There's all these independent agencies. And Congress has given these agencies the power to issue what are called regulations. And these regulations deal with all kinds of things. You know, what sort of device does a power plant need to install in order to reduce its emissions? Who qualifies for overtime pay if they work more than if they work more than 40 hours in a week? You know, what vaccines does your insurance company have to cover? And in some areas, what are your cable rates, you know, for your cable TV? So, like, just any issue you can think of, these agencies have some finger in it or another. And it's often unclear what these laws are telling the agencies to do. So, like, to give you an example, the Clean Air Act says that certain power plants have to use the best system available to reduce emissions. Well, what's the best system? Yeah, I who mean, decides I don't, that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not an engineer. I don't know how you, you know, who who do you want to decide that question? You want climate scientists and engineers to decide that question because they are more most likely know what the correct answer is. And so what the Supreme Court said in a case called Chevron is when you have these laws that say, okay, figure out what the best system is to do something, that decision should be made by the agency, which is made up of experts who actually know what they're talking about, and not made not made by judges who are just people with law degrees who probably don't have any specialized expertise at all in, you know, in whatever the agency is doing. What the Supreme Court is threatening to do in these new two in these two new cases, Loper Bright and Raimondo, or Loper Bright and Relentless, is overrule Chevron, say that henceforth the final word on all of these questions will be made by judges and not by the agencies. And I mean, th there's two reasons why that's a terrible idea. One is that the courts aren't going to be good at this. You know, they don't know anything. They don't have enough staff to make these decisions well. And second of all, like. The agencies, the, the reason this power is giving to agencies is because agencies are responsible to the president. You know, if, if you don't like what the government is doing, you vote for someone else. Judges serve for life. You can't get rid of judges. So right. if you don't, if the Supreme Court is the last word on everything, then you're just stuck with the nine people who are up there and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I, as you were going through all this, my mind went to the, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy. Um, yeah. But my mind started going to the court scene where, you know, maybe this is where our court system's going to go. The judges don't know all this stuff. They're not going to have the time or the resources. So maybe we're just going to go and spin the wheel 
Right. And maybe this is maybe this is the future of, or maybe it's going to be who has the, the the deepest pockets, the best lobbyists. But it's certainly not going to be who who wants the best outcomes. I fear, and and this is where you know, I, this is where I, I struggle with these kind of decisions. But but here's the thing, um, I I remember John Roberts. John Roberts, while he was you know trying to be a, a justice, was talking about you know balls and strikes. This is decided law. This has been long decided law. Why now is this up for for destruction? I mean, the only explanation I can come up with is, is partisanship. You know, Chevron was decided in 1984. So first of all, it's a 40-year-old precedent. And second of all, it was decided smack dab in the middle of the Reagan administration, you know, as Reagan was cruising to a landslide election victory. And if you go back and you look at the commentary on Chevron immediately after it was handed down, it's conservatives who are praising it. I mean, remember Ken Starr, the you know the the Clinton inquisitor. He yeah. was a federal judge before he went after before he went after Bill Clinton. He praised this decision. Uh, Justice Scalia, you know, the, the conservative icon, wrote, gave a big lecture at, at Duke Law School where he talked about how yeah, this is so much better than what happened before. This is this you know really takes account of how government actually operates. This is going to be great. And the reason you had so many of these conservative luminaries praising this decision is, again, Ronald Reagan was president. And I mean, whatever you think of Reagan, like he really did crush it in 1984. So like Republicans weren't that worried about losing power. And so they thought, hey, we want to give power to these agencies that are controlled by our guy because he'll do the things that, you know, that we, that want. we want him to do. Right. And what started, you you, you know, when. Like the Federalist Society and the Republican Party and all these conservative institutions started turning against Chevron. It was when Barack Obama was reelected. And it's surprise. Yeah, surprise. And, you know, and it's again, it's not hard to get, to guess why, because in 1984, Ronald Reagan was ascendant. The court still had a lot of liberal Johnson and Carter appointees were handing down decisions Republicans didn't like. So they thought we're going to shift power from the judiciary or from the judiciary to the Reagan administration. That's going to be great for the Republican Party. And then in the Obama administration, they had the opposite problem. You know, Barack Obama had just been reelected. You know, the polls showed the Democrats were doing great. Um, the courts had, you know, the, the Supreme Court had a Republican majority. The courts were do at that point were dominated by Bush and Reagan appointees. And so what did uh, and so what did the Federalist Society start saying? What did all these Republicans start saying? Oh, we got to shift power back to the institution that we control. And now, of course, you know, the Supreme Court has a six to three Republican supermajority. I mean, look, you know, I'm not a big fan of Ronald Reagan. He won that election. When you win an election, you get to govern. That's how it's supposed to work in right. a democracy. We had an election in 2020. Joe Biden won that election. And I, I just think that's the right rule. Like Chevron is the right rule. Like if, if, if I don't like President Reagan, my recourse is to go to the polls and try to get as many people that I that I want to go to the polls as possible. And if the Federalist Society doesn't like Joe Biden, I've got good news for them. There's an election coming up in November. But what they shouldn't be allowed to do is shift all this power to an institution that they control. But this has also been, you know, as you've pointed out, you know, since the, the Obama years forward, and I would argue even maybe a little bit before that, you know, during the Bush years, the idea of consolidating power in the courts and 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 using the courts to you know to justify all of the things that they've been doing, you know, and and trying to to recreate to to recreate this country in this 
this this mold that never was and using the courts to justify it and and this is where this is where it's kind of scary to me that this is just another one of those things that that potentially could go by the wayside of what we've we've expected our country to look like that you know in a couple of years it might not look like yeah does that make sense it, no it does and it and it's a bizarre thing for them to fix on fixate on because because here's why like you may remember the student loans case from like several months ago. You may remember about a year ago there was a case involving what was called the Clean Power Plan. This was, you know, EPA regulations that was supposed to reduce um, greenhouse emissions. And in both cases, the Supreme Court vetoed those regulations. I mean, this is both of those arose through the same mechanism I was describing earlier, where Congress passed a law saying to an agency, hey, you get to you get to decide what the policy is in this space. The agency decided what the policy was going to be. And then the Supreme Court vetoed that determination, invoking this thing they called the major questions doctrine. Now, the major questions doctrine is made up. Like it's not in the Constitution, it's not in any law anywhere. But essentially, what it says is that when an agency tries to do something really ambitious, really big, then the Supreme Court has the power to veto it. What overruling Chevron would do is it would essentially impose the major questions doctrine on every decision that the federal government makes, including stuff that very few people care about. Like, you know, the relentless case and the Loper-Bright case, the actual regulation and issue in those cases is about whether or not fishing boat operators have to pay to have a federal observer on board to make sure that they aren't overfishing or otherwise damaging the fisheries. And, and I mean, I guess if you run a fishing boat, you care a lot about that regular, but how many people run fishing bo boats? Right. You, you know, like Chevron cases deal with stuff, you know, there, there was a case out involving like whether a town in Minnesota, in, in Massachusetts, I think was like, operating its sewage plant in the right way. You know, there's, there's a case about whether a town in Hawaii needed to have regulation of its, of its, of its cable TV rates. I mean, these are small bore issues. And the thing that I don't get, I mean, when you add up all these small bore issues, it adds up to a lot. But if you're, say, Brett Kavanaugh, do you want to spend your time deciding what the cable television rate should be in a small town in Hawaii? You know, you, do you want to spend your time thinking about how much nitrogen can be admitted by a wastewater plant in a medium-sized town in Massachusetts? Or do you actually want to spend your time on important stuff? And so, like, I, I find this bizarre because they've already said they can veto important stuff. Why do they, you know, they, again, these are nine justices. They have four law clerks each, and that's, you know, that's not very much staff. They don't have the capacity. Right. To, to process all of these issues. I mean, th these are issues that historically have been managed by tens of thousands of federal employees. And now we're going to give it to nine justices and their four clerks apiece. Again, like, back to my spinning wheel. Back yeah. to the spinning wheel. That's how that's how we're going to decide it. But is there a way, you know, because I, I read your piece and I think your piece is fantastic. Um, you know, it, it, and we'll get links out on how, we, how folks can take a look at uh, your piece. Uh, on on this case because I think it's important. It's uh, titled John Roberts and Amy Cody Barrett are unsure if they should be in charge of everything. 
uh, inside the Supreme Court's argument asking if the justices should crown themselves kings and queens, written by Ian Milheiser over at Vox.com, not Fox. Yeah, Vox, Vox, not Fox. With a yeah. V, Vox. Um, but, you know, and the reason that is there a way that this this is narrowed? Because as you pointed out, when I read it, it was about the shipping boat, the fishing boat. And you know, it was a couple hundred bucks a day that goes to the, this, this monitor. Is there a way where they, they carve this out and go, OK, you win, but only in this narrow way? And I know we I talked about this, you know, back when when this was when Roe was was up, that there might be a way to for a narrow victory. And they completely blew me out of the water on that. That uh, do you see a, a narrow victory, or do you see them just blowing this out of the water potentially? So I, I think that there's there's four possible outcomes here. Um, one, the least likely outcome is that they just uphold Chevron and leave the law the way that it that that it that it's been for the last forty years. Um, I don't think that's likely, but they could do that. Um, the second is that they could overrule Chevron and say. Henceforth, the Supreme Court is in charge of the executive branch. And like that strikes me as fairly likely. Um, and then there are two middle ground ways that they could go. One is, and you know, this is something that the Chief Justice floated at one point. There's actually a pretty good argument that if you read the statute governing who should pay for observers on fishing boats, it says that some fishing boats can have you the the boat has to pay but not others and there's a decent argument that these particular boats are in the not others category and so the court could just say look like it doesn't matter what the agency said the statute says they don't have to pay so they don't so they don't have to pay and like if the court goes with that fine i mean like who cares who pays for these observers on fishing boats unless you own a fishing vessel um you you you, you, you know like fine they could do that i you know we could all be happy with that and that would just punt the question of what happens to chevron the other thing that they could do is that they could narrow chevron without killing it entirely and that would depend a lot on what um what the supreme court says there was a lot of talk at the oral argument about overruling a different opinion called brand x and what Brand X basically says is that an agency is allowed to change its mind. So an agency can say, like, a power plant has to use this device to, to reduce emissions, and then if several years later it decides that actually a different device makes sense, or several years later there's a different president, and that different president has to wants to have a different policy, fine. Like, like that's what Brand X said. And so the Supreme Court could conceivably overrule this and essentially say that each agency gets one crack at it. I don't think that would be a great outcome because, like, first of all, like, sometimes you just learn new facts and you want to change things. Technology you, changes. Yeah, exactly. Tech, tech, I mean, you know, we, 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 we have all lived through that before. You know, I, I hired one contractor. I, you know, I hired one plumber because, like, I had a problem and he didn't do a bad job and he didn't do a good job. So I hired a different plumber the second time because I learned new facts. Like, that, that's, that's just how things work. Um, and, you know, and I think that it also creates bad incentives if you overrule Brand X, because if each agency gets one crack at everything, then who is ever whoever is president when that happens is going to tell every agencies, all right, decide every question now because we get one shot at it. And that's you know, that doesn't strike me as healthy. No, um, yeah, but like so there are but my, my point is there are some middle grounds here that 
would still be disruptive, but not necessarily as disruptive as overruling Chevron. So in, in, in watching the, the arguments, any gut reaction? I mean, you know, I got the sense that, uh, you know, uh, Alito and Thomas are always against, you know, always in favor of destroying stuff. So let's let's rip and tear in their world. And and Gorsuch, I'm sure, was on board with them as well. Um, and, you know, where, where did you where you put the rest of them? So, yeah, there were four justices, Thomas Alito, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, who were just all in on getting rid of Chevron. And if anything, the most vocal um, justice in favor of getting rid of Chevron next to Gorsuch, who's championed this for much of his career, was Kavanaugh. And like and that's troubling because, I mean, Kavanaugh's a really conservative guy, but he's normally at the center of this very conservative court. And so, you know, if what, you know, whatever Kavanaugh says very often goes. And so it's, you know, it's troubling to see Kavanaugh thinking this way. That said, Roberts and Barrett potentially are in play here. The problem is that they both seem to have different concerns. So like it was Roberts, like I said earlier, who floated the possibility of just kicking the can in the road and saying, look, like these fishing vessels don't have to pay for the observer and we'll figure out all the big questions later. Um, and, you know, and that's consistent. I mean, Roberts sometimes wants the court to do less instead of doing more. So he might kick the can down the road. Barrett raised different concerns. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, like, I mean, I thought she raised very sensible concerns. Like several times she pointed out, you know, Chevron has been cited by 17,000 lower court decisions. There have been thousands of federal court decisions where like someone didn't like something that some agency did and there's lots of agencies um and so they filed a lawsuit and the court said nope you lose under chevron go away and if you overrule chevron all of these seventeen thousand cases are potentially reopened the damn you know, breaks. And, yeah exactly and, and like I mean, that's not a good way to run a country to suddenly have – I mean, I, I, I don't know what's in those 17,000 cases. I actually haven't read all of them. Um, but, like, that's just a lot of settled questions that are suddenly unsettled all at once. And that's not just good for the country. It's not good for Justice Amy Coney Barrett because all 17,000 of these cases if they're reopened guess whose desks they they're eventually going to lot they're eventually going to land on well maybe she and, needs the overtime yeah it, yeah who who knows so like i i am hoping that through some combination of roberts wanting to decide things narrowly and amy coney barrett wanting to see her family ever again that like the court will decide to will will decide to to stay its hand here, but but I'm not particularly optimistic. So so your last question. So your 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 gut feeling on this? Uh, does it go away? Do they find that middle ground? I I think that they well. Here's what I think is the likeliest outcome. You you might remember. Uh, I think like a few months ago we were talking about a different case called Rakimi. This was the case where. The Supreme Court substantially expanded the Second Amendment in a case called Bruin, and a bunch of judges looked at it and said, well, you know, under Bruin, that means that people who commit domestic violence, like people who have restraining orders against them, are allowed to own guns. And that case went up to the Supreme Court. I listened to the Rahimi argument. The good news is I'm pretty confident that the Supreme Court is going to say, yeah, no, no. People who, like, beat their wives do not get to own a gun. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to draw a line there. But the reason why this Rahibi issue happened in the first place is because they handed a really 
poorly written, you know, poorly thought through decision in Bruin. They didn't think through the implications of what they're doing. And surprise, now wife beaters get guns. And similarly, if they overrule Chevron, you know, again, I don't know what's in these 17,000 cases that I haven't read, but some lawyer's going to find them. And, you know, I, I think the same thing is going to happen. They're going to overrule Chevron. There's going to be all of these terrible implications that, you know, many of these ter terrible implications will be will be clear within, you know, several months or a year. And then they're probably gonna have to come back to this eventually and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't really mean that. Just like in the Rahimi case, they had, yeah, yeah, we didn't really mean that wife beaters get guns. Yeah. Oops. Made a, made a, made a little bit of a mistake. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see where this takes us. But Ian, I appreciate the time. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking forward to what this decision may be, but I'd love to have you back again real soon. All right. Thank you so much, Rick. Great chatting with you. Uh, good stuff. Our, our good friend Ian Milheiser. Make sure you check out his work over at Vox, V-O-X.com. Vox, not the other one. Uh, for our folks watching on Free Speech TV, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time for our radio affiliates. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right back after this. Stick around. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So one of the lines I use quite often when talking about the two political parties is Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. And never more is that apparent than today. Uh, you know, we're, we're just a couple of days outside of the Iowa caucus where everyone knew Trump was going to walk away with the majority of of caucus goers votes. Uh, I, at least I think everyone did. Uh, maybe Nikki Haley thought <laughs> she was going to win. I don't know. Uh, maybe Ron DeSantis thought he was going to do better. Who knows? But it's interesting to watch Republicans now really in mass falling in the line as 46 Republican senators, including Mitch McConnell, have signed on to an amicus brief uh, at the Supreme Court supporting Donald Trump and his efforts to remain on the 2024 ballot. And I know, I know, you know, Rick, they're just, they're, they're just supporting the rule of law. They're just supporting. Now remember, remember, you know, McConnell was a guy who called the January 6th uh, event, whatever you're, whatever you're going to call this, 
It's an insurrection in my view, but he called it a violent insurrection. Said Trump is practically and morally responsible for the violent insurrection. And yet, and yet, um, Mitch hath fallen into line uh, when it comes to signing on to this amicus brief. And, and he's not alone. Look, you you had, you know, 45 other Senate Republicans. The only ones that did not were Cassidy Collins and Murkowski. Uh, and I'm, I'm not surprised by any of them. 130 members of the House, maybe 100, I think more actually by now. But at last count, 130 members of the House. They've signed on uh, to Trump's position of, um, you know, basically blowing up the 14th Amendment. And again, I'm not surprised by this. It just is what it is in watching the Republican Party do what they do. And that's what they're told. Fall into line or else. Interestingly enough, Mike Pence's former chief of staff, Nick Ayers. Now, this is a guy who was was around. (laughs) This is a guy who's friends with Mike Pence, the guy that they wanted to hang on January 6th. Nick Ayers has come out and said he endorses Donald Trump. And again, they're circling the wagons. They're circling around Trump uh, because it's what they do. Now you go, you know, well, this is because, you know, the party, it's all about party. They're just, you know, they want their their candidates to win. And no, this is this isn't about party. This is about country. And I find it interesting that uh, the other day Donald Trump truthed out on his whatever truth social. It's just I, it's so Orwellian to say he truthed. He put out on truth social. He truthed something um, in all caps. This is the part that blows my mind in all caps. Uh, Donald Trump put on his his truth social account. a president of the United States must have full immunity, without which it would be impossible for him slash her to properly function. Any mistake, even if well-intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. Even events that cross the line must fall under total immunity, or it will be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. He he continues, there must be certainty. Example, you can't stop police from doing the job of strong and effective crime prevention because you want to guard against the occasional rogue cop or bad apple. Sometimes you just have to live with great but slightly imperfect All presidents must have complete and total presidential immunity or the authority and decisiveness of a president of the United States will be stripped and gone forever. Hopefully this will be an easy decision. God bless the Supreme Court. So I read this and my mind goes complete and total immunity without any questions whatsoever. So immediately my mind goes back to the the hearing they had a couple of days ago where a judge asked one of the Trump lawyers, you know, if, you know, if, you know the president could kill a political appointee, a, a political opponent. And the the Trump lawyer said, "Yes." 
uh, if they could assassinate a political uh, opponent. And they said yes. So my mind is in this place now. You know, Joe Biden has to, if this goes this way, if the Supreme Court eventually decides that the president has, you know, the Nixon thing, if the president does it, it's not illegal. Um, If that's the case, then Joe Biden has to send out a hit squad uh, to, I, I'm just I'm just kind of trying to figure out the logic here um, to go after Donald Trump and and all of the Republicans. I you, you kind of have to at some point because it's a threat. It's a threat, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is the logic, is it not? Because he he can do whatever he wants, or she. Now, the question then, you know, because then a bunch of questions come into my mind, you know, you know, the person that they send to do it, did they then have immunity? You know, if if, you know, if Joe Biden says, hey, you know, we're going to go and take out Trump and all the Republicans, um, you know, and, and, and he can get away with it. Does he have to be the one to do it or can he can he delegate that? And do they have immunity because of him? Because if that then is the truth, if that's the the, the next logical space and walk with me in this absurdity. Then Rudy Giuliani and all of the, the people who uh, aided Trump in January 6th, all of the, the January 6th criminals that have been locked up, uh, all of them have immunity because of Trump's crimes, because he would then have full immunity. And everybody all along the crime would, would then, is, is that where we're going? I sure hope not. And the, the weird thing is, and this is the amazing part in this, the crimes of Donald Trump have made this our new reality. The fact that he was so far out of the norms of the office, he so destroyed the mores of the office, that this is where we are. The fact for the first time in my lifetime, a, a losing presidential candidate, a losing presidential nominee, a losing president did not concede, did not aid in a seamless, bloodless transition, did not pursue the, the centuries of bloodless transitions of power. It makes me say we're in a brave, in a a not-so-brave new world. We're in a scary place. And this this is not great. There's nothing good that comes from this. This is a constitutional crisis. Because understand, on our Supreme Court, there are absolutists and absolute loyalists to Trump who will see this. Absolutely. You know, if Donald Trump does it, it's not a crime. Is that the kind of legal structure we want? Is that what we need? Is that is that how we're going to run the country? It's it's frightening. Now, from my perspective, no, I, I don't want to indict every president. I want to give them some latitude to make decisions and and mistakes if that's the case. But I also want them held accountable. When those mistakes are egregious. And we have international courts for that as well. But this idea that that absolute immunity 
full, total, complete, impossible to airtight, airclad, no consequences whatsoever for their actions should scare the you-know-what out of everyone. Should make you feel, well, dread, fear, especially. Look, do I think Joe Biden and the Democrats have have, have the, the stones to do that? No. But I think Republicans could. Because they've said they can. And... You know, Donald Trump has said, you know, if he's reelected, it's all about revenge. It's all about retribution. It's all about payback. This this could be a scary kind of moment. But I'm not surprised that that's their belief structure. I'm not surprised at all. Based on what's come out of these these hearings, based on what's coming out uh, every day from from the people that surrounded him, you know, the very best people. They are they're rightly freaked out too. Uh, but I want to hear your thoughts. Email me Rick at the Rick Smith Show dot com. Is this is this a concern? Is this something that uh, when you go to the polls in November, maybe you think about? Maybe this is high on the list of no, maybe we shouldn't have someone who believes that they have, you know, king, dictator, authoritarian power that's unchecked. Maybe, maybe, maybe not such a great idea. To give someone that kind of absolute power? Because what's that saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work... For America. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So this is going to be interesting. Now, we we talked about the other day that a report came out around Oxfam that uh, 40% of the jobs globally are going to be affected by AI, robotics, automation uh, within the next 10 years. 40%. Uh, gone. All you know, robots are going to do it. And and what are you, me, and you know everybody else going to do? Uh, nobody knows. And what they were calling for is they were calling for a strong safety net, saying, "Hey, you know, when this happens, uh, you know, there's there's got to be a net underneath these workers, so that when their jobs are automated, when their jobs go away, when there's no longer work available, people don't starve." And it's not out of benevolence that these policies are, are being thrown out there. 
All right, when someone like Elon Musk talks about universal basic income, it's not because he cares about humanity. It's not because he cares about the children. It's because he doesn't want his head on a platter. That's the reality. So put that right where, where it needs to be, front and center. This isn't because they care about you, your family, your, your neighborhood. No, no, not your coworkers, not even a concern. It's because they care about themselves. It's radical self-interest. They, they don't want their heads on platters. So bringing this up, I look at this story over at Autoblog uh, that is now reporting that here in the next uh, several months and over the next year to year and a half, uh, BMW Manufacturing, uh, they are a, a large auto company here in the U.S. Uh, they have a massive plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina, employed about 11,000 people. Uh, they have signed what is considered the first commercial deal with this company, Figure. And Figure makes these robots, these humanoid robots uh, that do human tasks uh, and, and can be trained to do basic, you know, basic physical human jobs. And they haven't said how many of these humanoid robots are going to be deployed at this BMW factory. But at some point, you got to imagine, it's going to be all 11,000. But right now, they're, they're, they're inching into it, going to see what they can get away with. And the, down in South Carolina, the, these workers don't have a union. Uh, no stopping the company from doing whatever the heck they want. So this is a good experiment place because they can't do it back in Germany. That's not going to happen uh, because there they have strong labor unions that would fight tooth and nail to hold on to these jobs for working people as long as possible. So do it in South Carolina where, as Nikki Haley pointed out, they she wears pointy shoes so she can kick those unions. You know where it hurts. And I got to wonder when those 11,000 people who are working at BMW all are uh, uh, not on the assembly line and are on the food line, on the, on the unemployment line, I got to wonder how that's going to play. Uh, but as of right now, the, the reporting is uh, that you're going to see them in the body shop, in the steel, in the sheet metal area, and also in warehousing, doing basic menial tasks, uh, you know, heavy lifting and stuff like that. Uh, also, you, we've seen other car makers kind of moving in this direction, experimenting uh, with these humanoid robots, uh, Honda, Hyundai, uh, Tesla. In fact, Elon Musk has said that he thinks by 2040, that's not that long down the road. Uh, I may be retired by then. Who knows? And okay, you can have my job. But he's predicting a billion humanoid robots on the planet a billion now we've got what seven billion people and you're going to bring in a billion robots to do the jobs that we could have had a billion people doing who benefits from that does the do the working people benefit from it no that's not how that's going to work how it's going to work is the very wealthy are going to get wealthier and even worse than we're seeing now. Because, look, poverty's been worsening for a while. Uh, there was just a report, the Oxfam report that came out, that said you've got, you know, 5 billion people got poorer over the last couple of years. 800 million people go hungry every day. And so five people could have their wealth double. 
Uh, and and you, what you have is you have the Davos crowd, you know, the, the 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 elite political folks and the billionaire class coming together and go, well, how can we work together? You know, how can we how can we perpetuate the myth that we're actually trying to save the world and not just make it worse? Because again, what they're talking about, well, we have stakeholder capitalism, and I go, you know, when I hear that that phrase, it it makes me angry. Because I remember our business roundtable kind of embracing that idea of stakeholder capitalism, you know, where it's not just about the shareholders. It's about all the stakeholders. It's about the communities. It's about the consumers. And most laughably, it's about the workers. And then they had that little pandemic where they had a chance to show, had a chance to show that. And what they show us? They showed us they don't care. And now there's talk of the first trillionaire coming? If you don't think the billionaire class has helped, wait do you see what a trillionaire, what the class of trillionaires is going to do. And I know, I know, I've heard this, I've heard this argument a thousand times. The reason the billionaire class can't do all of the things that they want to do is we haven't give them, given them enough control. Government's in the way. We haven't given them enough money. We should give them more because they're smart. They know what to do with the money. And I've, I've admitted, yes, they know what to do with the money. Make more money for themselves. And they do that really, really well. But what we've seen is this just this massive runaway corporate power, this monopolization, not just not just here in the U.S., but across the globe. And it's created massive inequality by squeezing workers' wages, by destroying their benefits, by taking away retirement and health care and job security and all of those things that 20th century America and 20th century American dream was built on. You've got all these rich people dodging taxes, and you see it all over social media. You know, rich people are smart. They don't want titles or or income because they don't want to pay any taxes because they're smart. No, they've just figured out how to game and cheat the system, and we keep letting them get away with it. And then throw on top of that all the privatization scams. All the things that we used to do for ourselves, and we said, no, no, rich people, here you do it. Here, hedge fund, you take over our turnpikes, our prisons, our water supply, our water and sewer, our electric grid. You take it all over and and you run it for your interests. And what's it end up costing us? More, much more. And what do we end up getting? Much worse, much less. We're sold on the idea that privatization is always going to be in our best. It's going to be good for us. We're going to get better service. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be heaven on earth. In fact, when Pennsylvania was in the process of deregulating its electric, uh, its electric uh, electricity, uh, you know, uncoupling government from the electric rate system, and in allowing you know, you know basically the, the wild wild west, they were literally running ads of people going to heaven. And being at the pearly gates and having St. Peter go, where do you think you are, Pennsylvania? That you think you have some choice? It's ridiculous. And they they still run this. You have choice of education. No, you don't. That's a ruse to get you to destroy what you've already got. And it works. It works so well. What it's time for us to do is wake up. Wake up to the con. We've been conned. We've been screwed over. 
We've been screwed over and conned on, on, a, on a bunch of fronts. Most of it is on race. Most of it's on the others are going to take what little you've got. Most of it is, hey, you know, the others are coming. While the rich guys literally, literally robbing us blind. You know, and what was it? The thing is, was it 44 states across the country, 41 states across the country? Working people pay a higher tax as a percentage of their income than the top, than the rich people do. How insane is it? And those are Democratic states, too. Mostly red states, but but there's some Democratic states in there, too. You go, well, how is that? Well, because we've been sold on this idea that, well, you know, those rich people are smart. They know what to, they know what to do with the money. They're going to create jobs with it. No, they're not. They're going to make more money with it. If If the byproduct is someone gets a job, well, that's a failure on the rich person's part because they didn't squeeze the quarter till the eagle screamed. And, and somehow they had to hire somebody, which means less money for them. It's time that we start legislating some stuff. Higher tax rates on rich people. Start taxing these people out of existence. Sorry, we should not have billionaires. And we most certainly should never have a trillionaire. Think about that for a minute. We need to legislate wage increases, a living wage, not a minimum wage, but a living wage. We need to cap CEO pay. Sorry, they're not capable of doing it on their own. There's no countervailing power to hold CEO pay down uh, like they hold workers pay down. There's just not. Unions used to do a good job of that when they were 35% of the labor force. Just not right now. We need a permanent wealth tax on millionaires and billionaires. And I'm not talking about someone who has a million dollars in assets because they own a home and they got a couple of cars. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the, the people who are on the Forbes 400 list. I'm talking about the, the people who the hardest day's labor they do is moving money from one pocket to the other. Those are the people that I'm talking about. This is what we need to be talking about and what we need to be, be, be voting on. Not about who goes to what bathroom or who, who cares about what pronoun. That's what they divide us with. That's what they rip us apart over while they're robbing us blind. So am I surprised that all of this bad news, and look, Oxfam does a really great job. Uh, you know, every, every year when this Davos thing comes up, uh, pointing out just how bad inequality is and just how much our wealth class rips us off. But what do we do about it? And that's the thing that bothers me. That's the thing that just drives me nuts. And here at home, what do we fight over? Insanity. We legislate stupidity. I wish common sense would return to some bit of, uh, well, Normalcy, and I look at this story, and this is where I want to finish today. Uh, in in Bryan, Ohio, uh, people are are literally freezing to death. Uh, I guess there was a death in Milwaukee, Ohio. Um, but there was a pastor who was charged with a crime for opening the doors of his church to people who were cold. There are homeless people in the in the in the community. He invited them to come in. And, and, you know, spend the night to get out of the cold. 
and pol police showed up and cited and, and arrested this person. And you go, how is that possible? Why would you do such a thing when it's freezing outside? What, what would possess someone to do that? This Chris Everell, uh, he's a pastor of, of Dad's Place in Bryan, Ohio. Uh, evidently, just last week, he was arraigned because uh, he kept the church open so that homeless people could come in and, and be warm. Now, Ohio has this law that says, can't do that. Sorry, you can't use the first floor buildings of, of the first floor of a building in a business district uh, to let people stay over. Uh, you know, if it's zoned, you know, business, it can only be for business. You know, there's no eating. Uh, you can't allow people to sleep over. You can't have, you know, anything like that. And I'm going, it's flipping cold. People are literally dying. This is a church. You've allowed the church. This is supposed to be what the churches are for, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving people shelter. This is what they're supposed to do. And and you've got this. This 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 ordinance and these folks who want to enforce this ordinance going after these people. It's insane. This is the kind of stuff that drives me crazy because we can do so, so much better. And 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 we have to. But this is the kind of stuff that happens when we've got nothing better to do. When we don't have our eye on what's really important. There shouldn't be a homeless person in this country. There should be a, a, at least a cot somewhere for everyone to go and a meal for every person in the richest country on the planet at the wealthiest point in its, in its existence. That's the bare minimum. But I want to hear what you think. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick, Email Rick. at rick at thericksmithshow.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.